Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and what a pleasure to be with you today as we discover with Susie Sevier and Michael Barnhart, the confessions of an overseas real estate investor. And Susie (laughs) and Michael are the founders of Adventurous Real Estate Investors. They specialize in a different ROI, or as they refer to it, return on impact. They are the owners and asset managers of over 500 multifamily homes across Oklahoma. They host the Adventures of a Real Estate Investor podcast, and they host a monthly meetup for real estate investors entitled European Real Estate Investors. So welcome, Michael and Susie. So start us and share a memorable experience. That helps shape who you are today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on today, Alan. We are just super, super excited. I think a memorable story that I want to share that kind of has to like go along with our entrepreneurial journey, but also has to do with like COVID and the lockdown. So when that initially happened, there was quite a bit of a difference between like the reaction in the UK and the reaction in the US. And like Michael and I decided we were going to do a mini book club together. But one of those books or the very first one was The Slight Edge. And from there, like it actually really shifted. Like, how are we going to treat these lockdowns? Like, because there were a lot of people which teach their own. It's totally okay. Like spent a lot of time like watching literally all of Netflix. But we were like, okay, this is like the only time we'll really ever have like with just him and I to worry about ourselves. So what do we do? And like, that's really when we had all of that extra, you know, like space in our minds and in our souls to start our entrepreneurial journey. And so it was really great because I don't know where we would have actually like gone if him and I did not decide to like do that many book club together and start with that book. And so that really is what like shifted everything and how we think even right now and how like we thought about entrepreneurialism in general. Interesting. So Michael, how about you? So I think for me, I've always had like an entrepreneurial bug. Even when I was a kid, like I was always tinkering, building things and stuff like that. And I've started multiple businesses before we got into real estate as well and took those full cycle. But then, you know, I think in addition to that, but also my military career has been in acquisitions before I was teaching. And so I did a lot of chemical and biological acquisitions for the defense acquisitions for the Air Force. And I've learned all about, you know, taking assets from purchase acquisition through the life cycle of the asset and then through disposition of the asset. So a lot of that that I learned in my Air Force career bleeds over into what we do now in multifamily acquisitions. How does that relate to multifamily acquisitions? Relates directly to it. So like when you think about purchasing an asset for the Air Force, like some kind of defense system, you have to go out and bid, find the right one, find the right company who's going to build it for you, right? And then you sign the contract and then it gets, you have through the acquisition phase, acquiring it. And then throughout the life of that system, you have to maintain it, right? And then at the end, when you need it, when it's come to the end of its life cycle, you've got to dispose of it. So very similar to purchasing a multifamily property, you have to find the property, you get a, get it under contract, you close on it, you acquire it, 
And then you maintain it throughout the, your entire business plan. And then when the business plan is complete, you look to dispose of it, right? Well, interesting stories there. Well, Susie, you had started off by telling us about the book club and the reading of The Slight Edge and how that stimulated your interest in entrepreneurial aspects. But how did that translate into actually starting to to use those experiences to actually invest in real estate, not just in real estate, but real estate in the United States while you were living in Britain? Yeah, that's a great question. So like the main point around the book is like to do like almost be like 1% better every day. And like with that compounding effect, like that's how you see the true results. So Michael and I, like we're doing almost like 1% things that were out of our comfort zone, right? Because that is very manageable rather than trying to do a bunch of stuff all at once. So like that started with Okay, like we are gonna we're gonna talk about it and see if this is reasonable, which then got to okay, like we found bigger pockets online. Like we're getting a little more reassurance, like the next little one percent, right? Because these are all really little steps. We found the group from Military to Millionaire, and it was like, okay, we found a group that resonates with us. Like, how can we do one percent more? Which led to like asking the group, is anyone investing in US real estate while living overseas or while they're technically stationed in a different country? And then people start to say yes. And it was like, wow, you know, like this really can happen. This is so cool. But then it was just little things after that, like, yes, we will go to a virtual conference. Like, yes, we'll go to another virtual conference and maybe participate a little more, which then gives you the confidence to go to meetups because like at meetups with a smaller amount of people, right, that can be really overwhelming because someone might come up and talk to you. You don't know if you're going to say the right thing because you're brand new. Like, how does that all feel? So like starting in that much bigger, I guess, presence of people at a conference made it easier than to get into those smaller groups and those like breakout rooms. And that's really what it was. It was like, have we done 1% more than like we're comfortable doing today? And with that, like it just made it so that we did then become comfortable to like submit an LOI and then continue to submit LOIs or even ask people for help, right? Because like that's out of a lot of people's comfort zone also. And then because we were showing up more, though, we found out that the community in real estate is much of the abundance mindset. So it became easier, but we wouldn't have ever known any of that without just like those little 1% more every day. Well, that is interesting. 1% improvement every day. But what I really like about that is that you were, I mean, those don't really seem like, so you started investigating online. That seems really trivial and, and unimportant. But yet you were marking that a celebration that this was an improvement, a 1% improvement. And I think we just go through life and we typically do Oftentimes those 1% things, but we just disregard them and we don't really give ourselves credit for, yeah, that was a step forward. So I like that, that concept. Right. So anything was scary. And so it doesn't matter like how big or small it is. Like if you did something new, then that's worth celebrating because that's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, and times we're we're taking those little tiny steps like that and we just kind of hold our breath and we don't really even acknowledge the fact that, that this is scary. Uh, yeah, and because <laughs> it is. Yes, and yeah, I like that concept. I haven't read that book, but it sounds like a really powerful book. I'll have to get hold of it. Who's the yeah. author? Jeff Olson. Jeff Olson. Okay. Well, great. So, why did you come to this concept of return on impact rather than return on investment? And what do you mean by return on impact? So it 
came from a lot of brainstorming. But like when we were interviewing property managers, I think is where it all started because like we noticed that like the first few that we chatted with, like it was a lot about like, we can do this with tenants, we can raise rents, you know, we can just make the building more profitable. And like, as we were hearing that over and over, it was like, okay, like that's cool, but this doesn't feel right. You know, like something seems to be missing and I've actually never owned a home. I've only ever rented. So like hearing that, like, oh, we can just bump rents, like made me cringe. Cause I'm like, that's literally the last thing I want to hear. <laughs> you know, like what else are we providing for them. They really are everything that we need, right? Like we actually kind of need them more than they need us because without any residents in any of our buildings anywhere, right? It doesn't matter if it's single family, like triple net lease, office space. If we don't have anybody in those spaces, we have nothing. And it was like, if we start thinking about it that way, and like have everybody else who's working with us think about it that way, whether that's the property management company, if it's roofers, if it's the maintenance staff, the brokers, it doesn't matter because like talking to them about it will make them think more about the people instead of like the profits, which come naturally, right? Like, because then everybody's in this great space to be like, yeah, if I treat these residents differently and they stay we have less turnover, right? Like we're creating less trash. We're using less resources. It all made total sense. So Michael and I were just literally sitting one morning. We're like, return on impact. Like this makes so much sense. Like you hear people of impact investing, but that means different things for everyone. And that's totally okay. But for us, it's like return on impact, like a different ROI makes so much more sense when you really put the residents first. And even just example of like how we do that is after we close, we send out a survey just to kind of include them in the whole thing. Like we don't say, hey, we're the new owners or whatsoever. It's just like, hey, we're wanting to improve the property. Here are some amenities that we can add. Like we'd like everyone to take a vote. Like that makes them feel involved. And it's already in our business plan. Like we already have the funds to add in amenities. So why not just add one that they're all gonna use? Because if they're all gonna use it, it's gonna be a reason to stay. Like just little things like that, like about thinking outside of the box of like, if I were a resident, like what would I want? And that's really easy because that's all I've done. <laughs> and it's literally just to be like heard and like seen, right? Because even as a human, that's what we want. We want to know we've been like heard and understood. And so if we can give that back, then why wouldn't we want to? Yeah, what a concept. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right. It is a concept that is forgotten. And yet, as you said, the tenants are so important to us and we need them more than they need us. And I think that is absolutely the truth because they're paying our mortgages they're increasing our wealth and essentially they're not increasing their wealth and not certainly not through renting our apartments. They're in some respects, they're depleting their wealth. And so they're very important to us. But I think a lot of landlords look at tenants as issues. You always hear that concept of tenants and trash. And I think there's that oftentimes there's that association rather than the fact that, hey, these are more important to us than they are, than we are to them. Yeah. It's a wonderful concept. Yeah, they don't have anyone to go to. And I'm not saying I want my residents to all be best friends with my like on-site staff, right? That would be a whole different like overwhelmingness for them. But like, even if we can figure out like one way, like, hey, like I get paid on this day and this day instead of that day and that day. Like, oh, 
okay, like that makes a huge difference knowing that or, you know, just anything like my window doesn't close all the way. So I get really cold at night and I don't sleep well. And then I'm grumpy. Okay, well, like we can easily fix that. It's just little things like that. But because so many people don't ask for help, like a lot of that is forgotten. So like just going a step above just to ask somebody every once in a while, like, do you need any help right now? Makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And it's so easy to forget that. And so, but like you also said, you know, you don't want your tenants to be your best friend. I mean, you're running a business here. And so you want to maintain a business relationship. You're not inviting them into your home for dinner and an overnight stay, but but you're forming positive relationships that benefit them at the same time that they are benefiting your business. And I'm sure, I mean, you haven't overlooked profit. In fact, you, you explained that taking care of tenants improves your profits because they stay when there are rent increases, they are happier with those increases, not thrilled to death, I'm sure, but they can understand that increases come with additional amenities and additional care. Yeah, absolutely. So why did you decide to leave your W-2 to pursue real estate? Really just for the time freedom and to be able to focus on it like 100%. When I was working full-time like in a W-2, like Michael and I's schedule was not exciting whatsoever, right? We were doing real estate in the morning from four to eight, like working our regular jobs. And then at night, because, whoa, that's when everybody's awake now in the US, like we still have stuff to do. So we're working from, you know, six to 11 to midnight sometimes. And at that point also, like our brains aren't really meant to work, you know, from four o'clock in the morning till midnight, right? So like being able to like leave gave our company like the creative juices. I think it really needed to because now like when I'm in my green zone, like I can actually work on the real estate company. Whereas before when I was in my green zone, I was at my W2, which it was needed there at the time. But it was like, hey, if this is something that I want to grow because I feel like I can make a difference in our company, like why would I not want to do that? And so it's huge. And then, like I said, also the time freedom as a military spouse with like every move, like that gets really difficult. And so I now can like, if I need to give myself a little break for those moves, I can. Whereas before it was like, okay, I'm going to leave this company, but now I have to hopefully find a job when we like land in the new spot. And that's really hard, right? Because even over here, it took me like six months to get a visa to initially work. And that was a really long six months for me. But like, once you really figure out that like who you are as a person is not really what your position is at a company. It's like the skills that you bring, everything changes. And so it's like, hey, wait a second. Like with these moves, I'm still the same person because I still have all those same skills. And this is what I'm working on in order to improve that. So it was just really great to be able to know that there's like flexibility with our moves. There's flexibility with our time. There's just flexibility with our space. Whereas before there was no flexibility really because with a W-2, I am obligated to that employer. Like that is what I need to do. I need to be available during the times that they need me to be available. Yes. And of course, I mean, you know, many of us have had to start off with a W-2 job. And so, I mean, we can totally relate to that. And, you know, I mean, I, I have enjoyed my career. I love my career. And, but yet there's always that divided aspect there of loyalties between yeah. mm-hmm. how much am I going to give to my career? How much am I going to give to investing? 
And I failed that pull all the time. And it, that pull in and of itself is a drain on, right? uh, and like you mentioned, your creative juices. That- yeah. And it even will help like when Michael can finally retire from the military, like knowing that he doesn't just have to go straight into another, I guess, like DOD position, right? Like we have, even like I mentioned before, flexibility for him to be able to retire after 24 years, knowing that there's more out there than there for yeah. life. Thankful as I am for it. <laughs> Air Force life or like so many go into consulting in the in the same industry there. So yeah, yeah. giving yourself choices there. Yeah. Well, what advice do you have for other service members who are overseas and who want to look into a investing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, there are a lot of people out there who are overseas, but still investing in the United States. I think there's a, a mental roadblock that a lot of people get to when they're like not able to drive by the properties they would invest in, or if they can't get there quickly or something like that. Like there's a mental barrier between like long distance investing when you're still in the continental United States, but there's also an even greater barrier when you're outside the United States, right? But at the same time, like I would suggest like it's possible. I would tell them, first of all, it's possible it is more simple than you think. And it actually ends up streamlining your systems and processes even further because you're not there. So it's driving you to put in processes and systems in, in order for your business to be successful. And I also would recommend to them, like find the right team to make it successful for you. So like for Susie and I, she mentioned earlier, we, we were interviewing all these property management companies, like because they're a property management company, we bought properties large enough where we have on-site manager, on-site maintenance, the income supports that. And so, because we want somebody there at least five days a week, taking care of the residents. And so we took our time finding the right property management company because we wanted them to be there taking care of the residents when we couldn't be there. Right. And so we took our time setting up, getting the right property management company. And we also took our time building the right relationships with other, somebody who's going to be our boots on the ground partner in that area, or somebody's going to help with other things in the deals. And so we always have, I guess the, my advice to military members is like, set up the right team that you need to be successful. It is possible. It's very, very doable. Susie and I have purchased like on a close to $50 million with a real estate while we've been overseas and it's totally possible. So if we can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. And we couldn't even like go to the US for, for like the yeah. first six months, like after we bought our first one. So we couldn't see it before. Yes, we had somebody there who could see it, but you put a lot of trust with other people, but that's okay. Like you can do it. <laughs> and even from like a military spouse, like point of view, like with the moving very often, right? Like my biggest thing is like, you can also do this and like feel fulfillment. And if being like an active GP member, like the sponsor who handles all of the deal part is too much, like you can still contribute through passive investing. Like you have other ways that you can contribute to the household while you're overseas if like you cannot work in that particular area. So there's like, it's for both sides of the coin, the person who is active duty and then the spouse who's at home also. Yeah. Well, tell us, Susie and Michael, how it is that we can take advantage of the things that you have to offer and what do you have to offer? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate that. So the coolest thing that Susie created recently was like this uh, passive investing with purpose. So it talks all about return on impact and what we discussed earlier in this podcast. So like, if you want to read more about return on impact, then go to adventurousrei.forward slash impact. You can find that there. And then, of course, if you want to contact us and find our podcast, our YouTube channel, 
our meetup and just connect with Susie and I on LinkedIn, you can go to adventurousrei.com forward slash info. And there's a landing page with all those links for you. Okay. Yeah. And we are super happy to like talk to people about investing long distance just because it is huge and it really does change your life. So like, please reach out at any time because we are here to like help you grow because we are so thankful for the people who took the time out of their day to help us grow. And so like just giving that in return is what we love to do. Wonderful. Lots to offer there. Well, tell us what do you love best about being a full-time real estate investor? Oh, now I love... (sighs) There's so many things. (laughs) I mean, I think the biggest thing like outside of real estate investing in general, like having more choices, but then inside, like when I do visit the properties, like seeing the difference that's been created. You know, like that's huge knowing that people are saying or when we get like the little handwritten notes from residents saying like, I love all the changes that have been made. Sign me up for another year or more. Like that is the coolest part. It's like, yay, it all worked out. (laughs) You know, like you just get super excited because other people are finally excited to like be where they live. And that's huge. That's huge. Well, Have you ever looked into opportunities in overseas investing? Ish. We've kind of looked at it over here. It's just like the, so, you know, commercial real estate in the United States, like the difference between cap rates and interest rates, that spread is kind of like where you make all your money. That spread over here is very, very marginal. So, and it's very complicated with residency status because we're still U.S. residents versus being residents in England or the U.K. in general. And so like, it's very difficult. At least in the U.K.? But Michael and I like did finally discover um, this program called the Golden Visa. And so just different European countries, like in order to get a visa and then hopefully residency, like some offer real estate options where like you can buy a piece of real estate, you know, that is valued in $250,000 or more. And like, then you get that visa. If you've had that visa for so long, you can apply for residency, like I said. So we've looked into it in that sense, but that not that's not a uk thing they're like "Mm, i don't think i don't know about that (laughs) yeah well i have seen i mean there are some countries who are actually trying to increase their populations and get young people into them and so they Mm -hmm. have different programs and different things there totally which is awesome i'm happy that they're doing that well it has been a delight enlightened investors thanks for being with us we'll see you again next time thanks Alan. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.